Welcome to Lift Radio. What is up, everyone? So it is finally time for the first Q&A for the podcast. If you don't know what that stands for, that stands for questions and anal. Maybe not, but that works as well. So these are going to be, some of them are going to be kind of a rapid fire. Um, I got, I'm going to try to answer all of the questions. Some of them will be a little bit longer form. I'm going to go into more detail, but some of them are just um, not very simple answer questions. So I'm just going to get after it. All right. So first question, the most challenging part with coaching or being a coach. Okay. Honestly, I absolutely love the job of coaching. I don't think it's something you should get into if you're not genuinely passionate about it because, yeah, you can make decent money, but most of the people that make crazy amounts of money doing it and they are in it just for the money end up just scamming people with cookie cutter bullshit and they don't actually care about their clients. So I would honestly say the most challenging part of coaching is just dealing with people that hire you for your knowledge and expertise and then they do not want to listen to anything you have to say no matter how much you try to rephrase things to put things into words that they can understand try to adjust the plan for training and nutrition and everything to fit their lifestyle to something that they can manage even backing off on stuff so because doing a little bit more Doing a little bit is better than doing nothing. But even after doing all that, you will always have some people that just do really do not want to listen to anything that you have to say. And I don't understand why those people even hire a coach in the first place. And I would say that's just really frustrating because I I am coaching because I genuinely want to help people make progress and I want to see people make progress and improve and when someone is paying you for your help but then they don't want to take your help of any kind and then just blame everything and their lack of progress on you it does get very frustrating but I was talking with over I was talking about this with a friend of mine the other day and I was telling her that really in the big picture of things yeah, that happens from time to time, but that like I've had maybe two to three of those clients in the past year and I worked with over 150 people total. So I would say in the big picture of things, that's very few and far between, but it does happen and it definitely puts a pretty big negative impact on you. But You just have to learn to get past that if you're getting into coaching and you will always have a few of those clients, but the majority is a lot more important to focus on and the positivity you receive from clients you've helped and who genuinely care about what you are doing to help them. So it all evens out, but yeah, I would say that's probably the worst part of coaching for me. Um, Okay, next question. This this is ridiculous. Never eat sushi for a year or never drink vodka for a year. 
I pick none of the above. I'm just gonna, I'm not going to fill in the blank on any of those because that's just not going to happen. Uh, I've already had sushi two times this week and not drinking vodka for a year. This, that's no, I, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. That's a ridiculous question. We're moving on. All right. This is a good one. I don't necessarily have a good answer for it, though. Uh, so what was the question is, what was the biggest mistake you made in your life? Uh, what did you learn from it? And how did it evolve you to who you are today? Honestly, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but I, I've been thinking about this since yesterday when I got the question, and I truly cannot think of any specific thing that stands out as just a massive, utter mistake that extremely impacted my life. Um, I've made thousands of mistakes, and there's things I could have done differently, but none of that really matters to me because all of those mistakes led up to where I'm at today. I'm happy with where I'm at, and I don't think any of the mistakes that I made along the way were big enough to be a massive hindrance to that, but every mistake I've made, I've learned something from, um, and that's generally why I wouldn't want to change any of the mistakes that I did make, so really, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. Nothing stands out specifically enough. Um, one of them that kind of came to mind was maybe spending four years in college for an exercise science degree when most of everything I learned, I either already knew or wasn't going to actually be applicable to what I currently do. Um, working with more of the personal training side of things as that was, it was a really, really good exercise science course, one of the best schools in Minnesota for exercise science, but it was more a preparation for people that wanted to work in the medical field or physical rehabilitation, and that's not what I really wanted to go into myself. So I guess, I, but I don't regret that in any way because I'm kind of glad I got that degree and it looks good now, even though the applicable knowledge from it wasn't all of that great um, and it was expensive, but I mean, it's kind of helpful now, so I don't regret that at all, but okay, I'm just going to move on because I don't have a good answer for that question. Um, next question is, what's your opinion on reps in reserve training as opposed to going to failure? Curious to hear your thoughts. All right, so. For this one, um, if you don't know, reps in reserve is kind of a measurement of fatigue. Um, it would be the reps that you do not complete that would bring you to failure, essentially. That's not the best description. but So reps in reserve is, so if you had two reps in reserve, that would mean you're stopping your set two reps short of volitional failure, which would be failure to perform the movement, complete the movement while maintaining really good form and execution of the exercise. Now, in my experience, both with myself and 
many, many people in coaching, going training to failure is really never beneficial unless I, I won't say never beneficial. There's always a place for it. And occasionally bringing things to failure can be beneficial for a couple reasons. On one hand, if I have newer clients, a lot of people don't actually understand what it means to take things to failure. They will stop so far short of failure that sometimes when you're working with a newer client, it's beneficial to actually make them take a set to complete failure almost to the point where you physically cannot complete the other rep and someone either has to help you up with it or you have to bail with the weight, Um, especially on something like a squat or um, a bench press or something like that. Just to have that measure of perception to what going to failure actually means because a lot of people think they know that, but they don't. That being said, most of the people that are actually training to failure are really holding themselves back because of it. Um, it's kind. Of, this kind of falls under the more is not always better type of thing. Um, I've had clients I've worked with in the past and currently that were, when we started out, were taking everything I prescribed for them to failure and they were never really making any strength progress and we kind of reevaluated everything and talked about this after seeing some form videos and seeing how far towards failure they're actually taking their sets and really pushing things too hard to the point where they were really minimizing the total volume that they could perform because they were getting so much central nervous system fatigue from doing these movements to such a high level of exertion or so close to failure. So uh, I, I had this with a client a couple days ago. They were bringing every single set to failure. And what we did, I had them try to stop about one to two reps shy of what would feel like failure on all of their sets. And what ended up happening with recording their total volume for the workout, they ended up getting way more volume in because it's important to bring sets close to failure to send the right signal to the body and the muscle to stimulate adaptation. But actually bringing things to the point of failure, especially for natural athletes and people that don't have really high um, recovery capabilities. If you push it too far, you're just going to get so much um, central nervous system fatigue that you're not going to be able to perform well in the rest of your workout. You're probably going to have to drop weight on following sets and following exercises. So like, let's say you do um, a bench press and The first heavy set you have, you take it to complete failure. The second heavy set you have, you take it to complete failure. You get one less rep. And then you get two less reps on the next one. And then you go to an incline press with the dumbbell. And then you're already, you're so fatigued from taking things to failure that you, if you were fresh, maybe you could work with the 60s or 70s, but you have to drop that down to the 40s or the 45s. And then you're doing far less volume and then you try to take those to failure and then you do the same thing you go to flies after that and you try to take those to failure and you're just continually each time having to drop more and more weight 
because you're building up so much fatigue. Whereas if you would have started out just taking the sets a bit shy of failure and not getting that really high level of fatigue, things would be, you'd be able to push a lot more weight through the rest of your sets for flat barbell bench. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. Um, more, you would be able to use heavier weight and probably get more reps for incline bench and the same thing for flies. So my general recommendation is always take things close to failure, but don't actually go to failure. It's good. A good general guideline is leaving one to two reps in the tank, so to speak. So if getting seven reps with a weight would take you completely to failure, go for five reps. That's pretty simple. Okay, so let's go to the next question, which is how to avoid extremes when it comes to health and fitness. Now, this is a tough question. It's not a tough question because it's relatively, uh, it's, it's simple for general population, but if you're someone that is really heavily in fitness and you have a very specific goal and you're performing at a high level, you might not have that balance. Um, it really comes down to having to realize that if you want to compete, so let's say you're a physique competitor or a power lifter, or you, as the, the same it would be with any sport, if you're trying to compete at a high level, you're probably not going to have a really balanced life if you want to do really well. And that's totally okay. That being said, outside of the preparation for your powerlifting meet or your bodybuilding show or whatever it might be, that's when you can try to find more balance. So when you're trying to make major progress, you might not have as much balance in your life, but during the times when you're trying to kind of just maintain your progress, maybe make a little bit of progress, um, but not trying to take thing, anything to a really high level, that's when it's really important to seek out and learn balance. And the biggest thing I have found that's beneficial for this, the best way to think about this is thinking that fitness and nutrition um, your plan for fitness and nutrition should benefit your life. It should not consume it. So if you're missing out on all of these things you want to do, missing out on social functions, not spending time with friends and family, um, you're not allowing yourself to go out to dinner with friends and family, um, any of that just because of the nutrition plan that you're on or your super strict training regimen, um, that is a huge red flag. You have to allow yourself some type of balance in your life. You have to be able to go out and enjoy things and realize that you can do that without setting back your progress. And the, I, I think one of, I've talked about this on other podcasts and a lot of my other content, but the biggest thing is kind of that binge restrict mentality both with exercise and nutrition so you'll see it all the time with fitness people's everything will be so over the top strict with both their diet and their training and they don't allow themselves to do anything and then they might go through a period of time where they just fucking do everything they don't work out at all they're lazy they don't move around at all they eat whatever the hell they want. They put on a bunch of weight and they go back to be re being really strict after 
things get too far out of hand. But what you want to do instead of taking that approach is, okay, instead of working out six to seven days a week and doing cardio every single day, maybe go for a short walk every day and work out three to four times a week, focusing on heavy compound movements. That way, that's really easy to fit in no matter how much you're out enjoying life all the time. And allow yourself a little bit of freedom in your nutrition. Maybe you're a little bit low on protein one day, but your calories on track. Who cares? That's not going to make a difference in the big picture of things. But if you're the type of person that goes, oh, I'm a little bit low on my macros today. I'm going to go, I, I might as well just say fuck it and eat everything or completely fall off track. That That's not the kind of mindset you want to have. You don't want to have this binge restrict or ex- extreme on either end mindset. You have to find that comfortable middle ground that allows you to still get good quality exercise in, nourish your body with food, but also enjoy life. Hopefully that kind of covered that question. So I'm going to move on to the next one, which is when and why to use certain supplements or vitamins and going a little bit more in depth. Um, what would you recommend for an intermediate athlete? So someone that has a bit of experience. Um, this is really, really hard to answer because it's going to be so individual specific depending on your lifestyle and what your nutrition already looks like. Um, general things, I kind of baseline products that I think could be beneficial for most people. Um the first would be a well-formulated uh, multivitamin just to kind of make sure the gaps are filled in with your nutrition. Um, beyond that, um, a really high-quality fish oil. So the type of – when it comes to fish, some supplements, the quality isn't really different between expensive brands and cheap brands um, like creatine. I'll get into that later. But – Um, When it comes to fish oil, if you're getting a really poor quality one, a lot of times they are oxidized and rancid and really low in EPA and DHA. And you end up, you're trying to balance your fatty acid profile in your nutrition and having oxidized or rancid fats um, is having the opposite effect of what you want. So essentially you're spending your money to make things worse. So in that position, you're probably better off If you can't afford high-quality fish oil, just not taking it. Um, But a high-quality fish oil, I would highly recommend for just about anyone. Um, You want one that's high in EPA and DHA. Um, So that's going to be a very important one because most people do not get enough omega-3 fatty acids in their nutrition. And plant-based sources, unless it's like seaweed or kelp, are usually mostly ALA, which is, so EPA and DHA are what your body can easily utilize. But humans, we are very bad at converting ALA, which is a plant-based form of omega-3 fatty acid. We're horrible at converting that into EPA and DHA, which is what we can utilize. Um, And most of the thing, most of the plant-based products that promote like, oh, high in omega-3s like flaxseed and walnuts and whatever, um, this is pretty much all ALA and that's really not going to provide the benefit you're looking for. So 
highly, highly recommend a good fish oil. Um, let's see, beyond that, almost everyone can benefit from taking creatine. Doesn't have to be anything complicated. It's a super, super cheap product. Um, whether you're looking to boost your strength a little bit and help with progress, or if you're an older individual, um, you could benefit from the cognitive um, benefits to it. Uh, there's a wide variety of things it can help with, especially for someone that is low in creatine. So if you're um, vegan or vegetarian and you're not eating or someone that doesn't eat a lot of red meat, I would most certainly recommend supplementing with creatine because that's going to be pretty vital in that situation. But just take five grams of that per day. Uh, another one that can be really beneficial for a lot of people is supplementing with vitamin D. Um, vitamin D is fat soluble. So most multivitamins that are either tablets or capsules tend to not have a lot of it in there, or they will kind of have the lower end of the effective dose. Um, fat soluble vitamins, you do have to be somewhat careful, um, because rather than just peeing them out when you have too much, like water soluble vitamins, they can build up in your system. That being said, vitamin D is pretty much the safest fat soluble vitamin, especially for, um, kind of overdosing on it. Um, there's, I've seen studies with people supplementing with 10,000 IUs for a very extended period of time and not having issues. So I would say if you're a person that doesn't have, get a lot of sunlight, obviously the best thing to do is get your blood, blood work done, um, see what your vitamin D levels are actually like. Um, but especially someone not getting a lot of sunlight every day or year round, um, I would highly recommend when you're not getting a lot of sunlight, supplementing with vitamin D. I normally take around, um, I take the Legion multivitamin uh, Triumph, which has 2000 IUs, and I take that every day. And then when I'm not getting a lot of sun, maybe every other day or every couple days, I'll take 5000 IUs of vitamin D. Um, and that usually, I feel like that covers my bases pretty well. But vitamin D is really cheap, and a lot of people are deficient in vitamin D. So that's another one. Um, if you are training pretty hard, a quality pre-workout can be beneficial. Otherwise, just caffeine in, it, in itself, whether that be coffee, a caffeine pill, energy drinks, whatever, um, that can be really beneficial for workout performance. Beyond that, I mean, I don't personally, I don't really consider protein powders a supplement. It's just another cost effective form of food, another protein source that's pretty high quality if you're getting a good one. And that's protein powder specifically isn't really going to help your progress unless you are struggling to get enough protein in. It's just another protein source. If you're taking protein versus eating meat, um, and consuming the same amount of protein either in either situation, there's not really going to be any benefit to one over the other. It's just another protein source. So I would say that covers most of the baseline ones. I personally, one of my, um, staples for sure is a quality joint support supplement. Um, making sure it has curcumin in it, which curcumin is, from turmeric, it really helps with chronic inflammation. 
Um, I notice an absolutely massive difference when I take that along with, I, I personally take Fortify from Legion, which has um, 500 milligrams of curcumin in it, um, black pepper extract, which increases the bioavailability of the curcumin by like, I think it's like 2000% or something, something crazy. Um, so make sure if you get a curcumin supplement, it has that black pepper extract in it, but along with a bunch of other things that help with preventing joint degradation and joint support. So I personally absolutely love that. Um, everyone that I know takes it absolutely loves it. Um, that's enough on supplements. Uh, shameless plug in the description. You can click the link for Legion and use my code. If you're new to Legion, it'll get you 20% off or give you double rewards points if you're a returning customer. So definitely check those out. Each product page, if you want to read more about the supplements, goes extremely in-depth on the products and the research backing each ingredient and the dosage that is used and why they use that form of ingredient. So if you want to learn a little bit more about supplements, that's a great place to start. So moving on to the next question. Is stretching before a workout... What? Hold on. This is worded really weird. I need to reread that. Is... Is it true stretching before a workout can actually be bad? Uh, you have a better chance of hurting yourself. I was worded weird, but okay. So essentially, is it bad to stretch before your workout? And can that increase the chance of you injuring yourself in your workout? Simple answer is yes. Now, to break that down a little bit more, static stretching is where you stretch and hold. So if you were to like... Do a typical quad stretch where you pull your foot up to your butt and hold it there and stretch and hold that for like 30 seconds or so. That's a static stretch where you're not actually moving. Dynamic stretching involves movements. Um, I've done a couple videos on dynamic warm-ups and all of that sort. But a dynamic warm-up, which a dynamic movement involves simply that it involves movement rather than just holding a position so dynamic warm-ups can be very beneficial to prevent injury and increase performance but static stretching you do not want to do before your workout that's not to say it's not beneficial it's great after your workout along with other mobility work but i would not do static stretching before your workout because there is research to show that you do increase your risk for injury and it it just it just makes sense because you're essentially increasing your range of motion by stretching but what you may be doing is increasing your range of motion I fucking can't talk god damn it you are increasing your range of motion beyond what you can control so it's a new range of motion but it's not an active range of motion meaning you cannot maintain control in that new range of motion and that's how people hurt themselves so do not static stretch before you work out do some type of um, dynamic warm-up and you will be just fine let's see next question any trips you're hoping to take soon that you don't currently have booked honestly i do really want to go to australia sometime um i want to go back home to minnesota for hunting this fall but after I get back from the Arnold next week, the biggest focus of mine is just um, adopting a puppy and spending as much time at home as I can 
to train it and take care of it while it is a puppy. So not really thinking about trips right now, honestly. Um, when looking into knee sleeves versus when to look at and okay, so when to I really should have like read through these questions. So I was a little bit more literate. Um, but bear with me, you guys can deal with it, you'll be fine. When to look into knee sleeves versus when to look at and adjust other things, form, weight, mobility, etc. So, um, knee sleeves, I think of them kind of like wrist straps. So if your form's bad and your execution of the movement is bad and you have bad range of motion and you're just using knee sleeves to um, kind of cover that up or avoid hurt feeling certain pains because you don't have the range of motion or mobility to actually do the movement. There's a lot you need to focus on before worrying about knee sleeves. That being said, there's nothing inherently wrong with wearing them, but you need if I would recommend just starting out the movement extremely light, very simple, perfecting the movement as much as you possibly can, working on form and mobility, improving all that, and then seeing where you're at and then adding in the knee sleeves. So I wouldn't just jump right into the knee sleeves as a way to kind of cover up those issues, um, but use them as needed. I personally like to wear them. I just like this. I don't wear really, really tight ones. Um, I They're relatively tight, and I just like that bit of um, pressure. Everything feels a little bit better and smoother in the movement. But I don't wear them all the time, and I really work on form and execution outside of that. So nothing inherently wrong with them, but make sure you focus on form and execution and back off on the weight. Make sure you're working on mobility as well to get that movement down just fine. Next question is the importance of post-workout meal and what nutrition it should consist of. Honestly, I'm going to flip the question around a little bit and say that Personally, I think pre-workout nutrition is more important to your workout than post-workout nutrition. Obviously, recovery is important, but assuming most people eat after their workout and get some form of protein in, I'm going to say your pre-workout nutrition is going to be a lot more important because those carbs that you eat pre-workout are going to be available to you through your training session and after for recovery. You don't burn nearly as much glycogen stores as you think you do in your short training session and those amino acids that you eat in the protein in your pre-workout nutrition are going to be available to you through the training session, which is also why I generally don't make a big deal about inter-workout nutrition as some people do, because if you eat a pre-workout meal, that essentially is intra-workout nutrition. Things don't just automatically go into your body and then disappear as soon as you consume them. They're digesting for hours. So I would say the biggest thing to focus on is pre-workout nutrition, making sure you're getting, I would say most people, maybe like 40 to 50 grams of carbs. Um, obviously, bigger people, it's going to be a little bit more. Smaller people might be a little less. It's all going to depend on your total caloric intake as well and what you have available, but also getting a good source of amino acid-rich protein, preferably animal product of some kind. Um, within an hour to two hours before your training session, um, a good rule of thumb is about 0.2 to 0.25 grams per pound for the protein, meaning like 
0.2 to 0.5 grams per pound of body weight for you as an individual. That's how much, how many grams of protein you should be consuming per meal um, to maximize muscle protein synthesis. Um, smaller individuals, like that's going to be around like 20 to 30 grams of protein. Larger individuals, that might be around like 35 to 45 grams of protein. It's really going to depend on your lean mass, really. So that being said, post-workout nutrition, I would say, is important as well. But getting some form of carb and protein after your workout is going to be beneficial. Um, you don't, there's no like fancy anabolic window. Um, I would say if you're eating within an hour to an hour and a half after your workout, that's totally fine. Maybe, um, you, the only scenario I would say maybe worth having like a protein shake with some carbs in it after you train is if you train fasted, but in that scenario, I think it would just be better to have that before your training session and perform better in your workout anyways. Okay, so just a couple more questions after that one. Um, these ones should be pretty quick. Um, what would be, would be nice to hear your neck frequency and how you split it into your week. Personally, for neck training, um, I used to do it three times a week. Right now I'm doing it one to two times a week just because I'm deadlifting really heavy and I've kind of built it up to where I want it to be. But it's really just as simple as about two times per week, three sets of neck curls, three sets of neck extensions. Um, I generally do about um, 15 reps. I don't like it to be anything under the teens range for rep range because going heavy, you risk injuring yourself doing something stupid because obviously you're lifting it with your neck. So yeah, um, it's really not complicated. Just three sets of curls and extensions, three sets of each two times per week. That's all there is to it. I just throw it in at the end of whatever training session. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, what are your thoughts on sauna and cold therapy for recovery? I don't feel qualified to answer this question. Um, I've heard good things about sauna, especially infrared sauna for recovery. And I've also heard some good things about cold therapy. I've heard some people saying they're bullshit. I haven't seen a ton of literature in either direction. So I would say just try it out. And if it feels like it helps with recovery, go for it. It's definitely not going to be bad, or at least I don't think it is. As far as I know, there's nothing bad about it. So if you have the time for it, then go for it. Um, this is a good one. Lifting heavy weights in your teens under 16 years old. So the first thing to realize here is lifting heavy weights is very subjective. So what's heavy for a 15-year-old might not be heavy for a full-grown adult. But relatively heavy, I don't think that's the best way to start out with training. Um, People, younger individuals are growing into their new body and they don't have great um, mechanics and simple motor movement skills. Um, they don't have good control of their body in general. So what I recommend is starting with body weight movements at an early age. Get as good as at those as you possibly can, like pull-ups, um, push-ups, body weight squats, um, lunges, stuff like that. Um, focus on getting really good control of your body 
and then moving to simple um, weighted movements. And once you move to the weighted movements, spend a lot of time with someone who really knows what they're doing on perfecting your form. Don't worry about the weight on the bar. You can always add on to that. Just perfect your form. The earlier you do that, the better. There's nothing wrong with lifting weights at an early age. The reason it's dangerous is because people at those younger ages don't have good control of their body. So if you can execute really good form, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you cannot execute good form, you need to fix that before you try to load weight on the bar. And last question for today, um, why didn't you go on to get your master's in exercise science? So I kind of talked about this at the beginning. Honestly, in with coaching, I don't, there's no reason to even go to a four-year degree, go to a university to get a four-year degree in exercise science. Yes, I did that. But like I said before, a lot of the knowledge that I have wasn't even from, it was from my own research and studying outside of the courses I took. So I have absolutely no reason to go into a master's degree um, or grad school for anything beyond that. I already got a four-year degree that I don't need for what I'm doing. I don't really know why I would go beyond that, spend more years in school. I am done with school. I I do not want to spend any more years in school. Um, I, I know plenty of really great coaches who did not go to college. Um, I went to college. I don't think that specifically makes me better than anyone else just because of that fact. Um, but there's absolutely no reason I would have gone on to more schooling. I Just for what I want to go into. I want to work with general population people trying to improve their health and life in general. Um, if I was working in more of a rehabilitation setting or in a clinical setting, that would be a totally different story, but I am not doing that, and that's not what I'm passionate about, so that would be why. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Q&A. Um, I will probably do these a little bit more frequently. That was fun. Got a lot of good questions. I like talking on the podcast for the Q&A just because it allows me to go more in depth on certain things than I could just on brief stories on Instagram or something like that. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, please, if you haven't already, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and leave me a rating and a review would be awesome if you enjoy the podcast because that really helps me reach more people. So thank you guys so much and I will catch y'all next time or at the Arnold next weekend.